truth be told, this world is cold. When Jesus saved my soul, it made my life whole. Well, searching scriptures for a deeper picture. Yeah, reading Delhi makes the Bible clearer. Yeah, truth be, truth be told that no one knows how much the Father loved that He sent His only Son. There can only be one who could change us for the better. Truth be told. Well, praise the Lord and welcome, welcome back to yet another episode of Truth Be Told. This is your host, Raheem Bay, and today we are continuing our series on Read Your Bible. That's the title for the series, Read Your Bible. And this is part three in that series. And just a quick recap, the first two episodes of this series we talked about popular misunderstood verses and we saw them in their original context and really pointed out where we oftentimes misuse or misquote those verses so now we're going into uh what is reformed theology and is it biblical that's the title for this what is reformed theology and is it biblical and so before i get into this (laughs) um this this is going to be a very uh i guess theological based uh episode um i'm going to go into a lot of different verses to explain this and explain whether it's biblical from the scriptures right and so i also want to say that you know before we even get into any of this that this is once again just for your encouragement and for your uh, uplifting and this is very informative because there's some people that don't really understand what this is but yet they believe parts of this doctrine and don't even know what they're believing if that even makes sense (laughs) so they're believing in in doctrines that are based or they spring from reformed theology and i do want to say that i have friends and personal acquaintance acquaintances and um people that i love dearly that are reformed or they would consider themselves calvinists so you know i'm not coming against anybody personally i'm just here to point to the scriptures and i want us all to just come to this with an open mind and an open heart especially for those who are already they would already uh identify themselves as reformed or a calvinist and so again i'm 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 directing this towards this doctrine i don't believe that this doctrine is actually in the word of god that don't mean i don't i don't love you as a person so whoever's listening to this receive that from the heart receive that that this is my heart to bring this forth to you uh 
to show you what the scriptures say and it's not an attack on you personally okay so okay what is reformed theology so reformed theology and this is going to be again this is going to be a lot of you know a lot of theological <laughs> terminology that i'm going to be using so i mean maybe if this is not interesting to you maybe you should just <laughs> you know wait to another episode but this is um very important i believe because some tenets of these of this doctrine or this theology can lead to some dangerous conclusions um some dangerous conclusions so let's let's deal with what is what is reformed theology okay so reformed theology is a brief history on it is just it comes from really uh back in the 15th uh, century or rather the 16th century um, with a guy named Martin Luther who basically was the first to kind of rebel against the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church were teaching you know a lot of different things you know that is not found in scripture as far as paying for your sins to be forgiven you know different things like that and this guy martin luther was the first to uh go against that and he wrote something called the 95 theses and posted it on the door of the catholic church against uh, all the things that they were teaching at that time so that that was the beginning of what we call reformed theology now right after him it was a guy named John Calvin who came up with this theology and kind of really formulated it in in a very uh, <laughs> high theological way to interpret scripture um, and uh, so that's what we're really, really going to be dealing with so what is reformed theology and the way that a lot of Calvinists you know would describe it in the easiest form is through an acronym called TULIP right and and before we get into TULIP I want to go back to just a, a personal just say some some personal things that for me personally I actually um, held to three of the points of Calvinism you know in my early 20s i really embraced those three points um because it seemed like that's what the bible was saying and this is what i was being taught so you know i didn't really have an issue with it um but also obviously i had issue with the other two points which is why i was only a three-point calvinist and i'm, I'm gonna explain all of this because some of y'all won't not even understand what I'm what I'm talking about when I say three point, four point, five point Calvinist. So, um, so as I uh, began to I began to question it about six years ago in 2015, and I started to rethink whether any of these points are actually in the Bible. 
right? Because whatever theology we come up with, whatever understanding interpretation we come up with, it has to be supported through the, the full counsel, the, the entire Bible. Okay, it can't just be a list of proof texts, a list of verses that support this theology, but ignores these all these other verses that contradict your theology, right? So I started to rethink those things. And at that point, I began to see that none of these points, not even one, is actually based on biblical teaching. Um, now there's, there's parts of it that may seem to be, but when you look at the full picture, it doesn't really add up to what the Bible says. Right? So that's why I'm doing this because there are people out here who are really confused about all of this and some, some churches and, and uh, ministries really, you know, build their whole ministries from this type of theology. You know, um, there's famous, extremely famous pastors and teachers that are Calvinists and are not afraid to, to, to say it, <laughs> you know, like a John Piper, you know, um, people, I don't know if, you, if you've heard of these people, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, you know, um, who else is, it's a lot of different preachers, Vadi Bakum, you know, uh, these are prominent reformed teachers. And, um, I believe R.C. Sproul's passed away a few years ago, but you know, people like him and other people who are Calvinists all, uh, you know, believe this theology. So now let's get into it. So let's get back into TULIP. So TULIP, again, is the acronym. So the T stands for total depravity. The U of the TULIP stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. Jesus didn't, this limited atonement, Jesus didn't die for everybody. He only died for a certain amount of people. I is irresistible grace. And then P is the perseverance of saints or of the perseverance of the saints. So yeah, it's, it's a lot. So it's five points and today we're only going to be dealing with two of the points because it's, it's just, it's too much. It's going to be too long to cover all five points in one episode. So this definitely deserves a second episode. Um, so total depravity. Now I'm going to go, I'm going to read to you from a Calvinist uh, website, their own definitions of what total depravity means, right? Um, so it says that total depravity, that I'm sorry, total depravity, that means simply man is dead. The Bible says that you and I are dead in trespasses and sins. Unless we are born again, 
dead. More than that, the man or woman who is dead in sin hates God and is his, and in and his carnal mind is enmity against God. His will is stubbornly steeled against God. This biblical idea changed a lot of modern talk about sal salvation. So to expound more on it, so total depravity means that you're dead in sin. And not just that you're dead in sin, but that you, because you're dead, you can't choose God. That you're so depraved that you have, it's, it's really called, it's really, to be more precise, it's really total inability. Like you can't choose God, you can't do anything good. Um, we're talking about before salvation, that you can't choose God because you're so evil, you're so wicked, because sin has affected every ounce of your being completely that you cannot choose God and you can't do anything good in his sight now this doesn't mean that they're they're not saying that you know you're you're as evil as you possibly could be but that sin has affected you every man in such a way that you can't respond to God if he calls you you can't respond because you're so wicked now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to deal with a few of the verses that they use to support this. And then I'm going to uh, go to some other verses that would contradict their interpretations on both total depravity and, and unconditional election. Okay. So, again, total depravity, man is sinful dead in sin and they take that to mean that you can't do anything good and that you can't even choose God because your will is evil you don't even really have a free will because it's tainted by sin so they use Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and let's turn there This is Ephesians chapter 2, and this, and this is verse 1 through uh, verse to verse 6. So it says, And you who he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, this is verse 4, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love, which with he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right. So they use that verse to prove that, uh, you know, that we 
are dead in sin and yeah and, and you know by nature we're children of wrath and they and they take that to mean that by nature you're already you're born under the wrath of God as a baby you're born under the wrath of God let's see if that's really what Paul is saying he says and you may and you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins so let's start right there that's under we have to understand what dead means dead means separation from God the Bible says that the wages of sin this is Romans 6 23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life so sin brings death okay now this doesn't mean that now that that means that you cannot choose god at that point once you're dead you can't choose god that's not he's not talking about literally you're dead meaning you can't do anything um so because when it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, you who were made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So they, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So again, being dead is connected to sin. Okay. You're not just dead just because you're born that way. You're not born dead. <laughs> you're born innocent. And you sin, all have sinned, and because sin, death enters in. And then he goes on, he's talking about how you lived. So he goes on, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And then if you skip down to the second part of verse 3 and we're by nature children of wrath why were you by nature children of wrath because you walked according to the lust of your flesh see how you, when you read the scripture in its context how easy it is to understand you know when you take a, this verse and just really don't read it in what it's actually saying and just take it to mean you know we're dead and because we're dead we're 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 by nature children of wrath but if you read what he's saying he's saying that because you're walking in disobedience because you're walking according to the prince of the power of the air at that time because of that you were by nature children of wrath why because sin brings death and God must punish sin. So of course, when it says by nature, it doesn't mean that, you know, you were born that way. It means that you were naturally headed for wrath. That was the direction you were going in. And then in verse four, it says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy, that while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. So, okay. So 
now they say that okay he made us alive meaning okay he just did it we didn't have to do anything we're, we're going to get to that you know later though but that's a little bit a part of unconditional election like he just chose us and you know we had nothing to do with <laughs> him choosing us um but because they read this and act like the, the you know Paul doesn't talk about in all these other letters that he wrote that there's a condition to why he chooses us that oh he just made us alive while we were dead no that's not what he's saying but we we clearly see that according because you were walking in sins you were dead in your sins you walked according to the flesh and were by nature children of wrath because of what he just said right so let's let's keep going let's go to another verse they use this is all for total depravity right so they use uh romans 8 7 and 8 romans chapter 8 verse 7 and 8 and again this is to prove that we can't do anything that we can't even choose to accept Jesus because we're so sinful. We're, 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 we have total inability. We can't do anything good. Right? So that's the theology of total depravity. So, and again, this, before I keep continuing to go into this, I know they're going to be like, you know, there's a lot of verses that we can get to. Okay. But, I'm not going to have time to go through every single verse that they use to support total depravity, but I'm giving you some of the main verses from, um, you know, a, a website that shows you that breaks this down and gives you the scriptures to support this theology. So, okay. So Romans eight, seven and eight. So it says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God okay so they use that to say that as a man as a, as a human being you can't please God <laughs> That no one can please God. That's what it's, that's what they take that to mean. That because in the flesh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But let's see, is that what he's really talking about? Let's back up. Let's go to, um, we can just start in verse four in Romans eight. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live, let's see, let's read that again. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So he's talking about it's up to you to set your mind either on the things of the flesh or on the things of the spirit 
so he's saying and then now if you go to back to verse eight so then those who are in the flesh cannot please god he's talking about those who set their mind on the flesh cannot please god but if you set your mind on the spirit you can please god okay so um now i'm not saying that you know if you're not saved you're you're able to please god and you know you're you're pleasing to god in general no what, what i am saying is this is not what he's talking about he's not talking about anybody that's that's a person uh <laughs> can't please god he's saying that as a believer you sir you're supposed to set your mind on the things of the spirit instead of the flesh but this is one of the verses that they use to prove that you can't do nothing you can't do anything that's good or pleasing to god and the bible doesn't really say that you know it, it doesn't say that you can't do anything that's good it says that if you're not saved it says that you can't you're not righteous righteous is based off of perfection you can't be good enough to earn your way to heaven to earn salvation not that you can't do anything good and we know for a fact based on the verses we just read prior to this that it can't just be talking about because you're in a flesh because you're human you can't please god again these verses are clearly being taken out of context to support a theological paradigm or a theological point of view and that's the problem when you come to the scripture when you come to the word of god already with a preconceived idea of what the bible is saying and that's eisegesis not exegesis you're coming in you're imposing something onto the word instead of receiving what the word says itself right in verse 9 it's, and it goes on but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you so let's go on let's go to John chapter 6 verse 44 again this is still total depravity and we're going through some of the main verses they use to prove total depravity okay so this is john chapter 6 verse 44 this is jesus talking he says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up at the last day and that's usually where they stop so you know let's just stop there so he's saying that you can't come to me unless the father who sent sent him draws draws you to him then let's just look at that on a basic level if you so does this say that you can't choose the father or you can't choose jesus because you know if he if it's saying that he draws you, you can't come to him unless he draws you 
does that mean you you therefore lose your choice <laughs> you you all of a sudden use the you lose the ability to, to choose you know you can be drawn it it, per, it makes perfectly makes perfect sense to say you can be drawn to something and still have the choice to whether to choose that or not okay so just on that it automatically it still doesn't mean that you lose the the ability to choose you know um i'm sure that people who who god has chosen or god has, has been trying to uh draw them to himself and people that's like us has some of us who've been saved or who are saved um we know that there there were times before we got saved that god was already drawing us he was trying to draw us to himself but yet we denied him at that time so you know we still have a choice you know so he's saying that no one can come to me unless the father draws him okay so but the the father is trying to draw all men to himself you know we'll, we'll get that we'll get to that later when it talks about limited atonement but he's he's trying to draw all men to himself but yet they don't all come it's not just be, it's not because he didn't die for them it's because they chose not to receive the drawing of the holy spirit okay um so yeah we don't we don't see total depravity necessarily in john 6 44 it doesn't it doesn't show enough you know and if of course if you receive him he he's gonna raise you up on the last day okay you know that doesn't that still doesn't prove anything as far as total depravity but let's keep going let's go to uh let's go to psalms 51 let's go to psalms 51 5. so uh, yeah i i, I warned you that i'm going to be going through a lot of different bible verses to go through this episode because these are theological points of colonism that they they have bible verses for so you know we gotta address them we can't just ignore them so let's see psalms 51 5 and it says behold i this is david talking behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me so we can stop there okay so he said i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me now what does this mean well let's start with what you know calvinists take it to mean and this is a verse that actually uh not just calvinists believe and, and probably um, maybe incorrectly, but other people, you know, other believers use this to say that we are born, like we're born guilty of sin, you know, in the womb. 
You know what I mean? Before we were even born, before we were uh, uh, born, we were already in sin. We were already sinners. So this is going to prove, this is supposedly to prove that. Let's see if that's true. Now let's, let's read this again. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. So why couldn't this mean that his mother, David's mother, was brought, was, was participating in fornication when he was born? I mean, you can't really rule that out because it says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. The way he was brought forth was through was in iniquity and in sin his mom conceived them so that could easily mean adultery fornication um this doesn't mean this is not necessarily a statement for every human being that, that will ever live and it doesn't even if that's the case it still doesn't mean that we were we were born sinners sin the word in for sin it the definition it means to miss the mark right it's a transgression of god's law how can a a, a fetus sin Sin is not is, is not some invisible stuff that's like, you know, that you that you're just it's, it's not in uh, some stuff that you're born on you like that that's born on you or something like sin is a choice. Sin is a is transgression against God. It's missing the mark. So just based on the basic definition of sin how could he be born in sin meaning that he's a sinner you can't be born a sinner now you could be born into a fallen world <laughs> you could be born into a world that has the results of sin which brings death to people and it brought death to the creation that's why plants die that's why you know everything is is contaminated because of sin right but it doesn't mean that a person is a sinner because they're born into this world so you really can't you know really get that get that from psalm 51 5. now i'm gonna go to romans 5 to prove that and we're still dealing with total depravity because total depravity still says that you can't choose God because you're so full of sin. And because you're born a sinner, you can't choose God. You know what I mean? So Romans 5. And we're going to start it. We're going to do Romans 5, 12. 12 and 13 
Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because they were born into sin because they were born guilty of sin. That's not, that's not what he said. That's, that's, let's read that again. So therefore, just as through one man talking about Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Remember the wages of sin is death. So death through sin and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. For unto the law, sin was in the world. For until the law, sin, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So death only spread to everybody because there's not a single person on earth who's ever lived besides Jesus who haven't sinned. Death comes from actual sin. Okay, it doesn't it's not something again sin is not something that just it's just there you know that that God is gonna hold babies accountable just be just because they're born in a world that people sin in <laughs> no it's when you are to the point where you understand what is good right and wrong and you don't do it you don't do what God what you're what you know you should be doing it's a sin at that point so death bed to all men because all sinned. Alright, so let's go to and we're I'm trying to speed this up a little bit, but it's hard to to speed it up because I really want to get you to understand what the word is saying instead of going by what uh you know a theology that's built off of man's ideas. Um instead of the word of God. So now that's, I just want to talk about faith real quick. You know, Paul, Paul goes out of his way to show us and to let us know that faith is not a work. That if you have faith, it's not works. He says it over and over and over and over again. Faith is not a work. You know, you're not saved by works, you're saved by faith through grace or by grace through faith <laughs> and not of works and not of yourselves. Okay, so you don't get the credit because you have faith to believe in God because the Bible says that God has given every, every man the, the measure of faith. Everybody has faith. You don't boast on faith. Once again, faith is not a work. I don't even have to go through all the scriptures. I'm pretty sure you as the listener should know that faith is not a work. It's not works. But somehow, inexplicably, the Calvinists or some people who would believe, uh, you know, warm reform, the uh, reform theology would say faith is a work. <laughs> they would actually say faith is a work you know why because faith in that theology it has to be a work because then 
you would have to say that man has the choice to have faith or not. And then, so they would say faith is a work and we know that you can't do anything good. So faith actually comes from God, meaning that is effectual. Like he forces you to believe. Now, faith is a gift from God. It's an ability of God, but he doesn't make you use it in the way to, to choose him. He gives you the ability to have faith. Now you can use your faith to have faith in him or faith in something else. Okay. He doesn't make you choose him. He doesn't make you use your faith to trust in him, but they use Ephesians two, eight to say that faith is actually a work. So they use Ephesians 2, 8. So let's go there right now. Ephesians 2 verse 8. And it says, for by grace, you have been saved and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'm going to read that again. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. Let's start right there. So they take that to mean that when it says through faith and that not of yourself, that they mean they take that to mean that faith is not of yourselves, but that 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 faith is actually the gift of God. The problem is, you know, and I'm not a Greek scholar or anything, but I've learned this a little bit of it and the problem with that is that the first clause in, in verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith that part is um is feminine and that not of yourselves is neuter so basically to make to put it in English in plain terms that the not of yourself is the gift of God is not just talking about faith it's talking about the whole clause before that so the gift is not faith it's the grace and salvation that's the gift right that's the gift for by grace you have been saved that's the gift you know, grace is something that's offered to you. It's a, it's a, it's two things. It's, it's really two things. It's one that we all know is, is something that's offered to you that you don't deserve, right? It's unmerited favor, right? But it's also the, the ability that comes from God It's God given ability, God given power. But this is talking about that grace that's unmerited, right? Because you can't work to for your salvation. So through the love of God, he offered grace to us that we'll be able to be saved through faith. The whole thing is the gift. You don't break up the individual parts of this gift and say, oh, it's, no, faith is the gift. <laughs> That's not how you read, you know, that's not even really how you read English, let alone, you know, the original Greek in this particular verse. 
So the whole clause, the whole, so by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself is the gift of God. So all of that is the gift of God. So faith, once again, is not works. And he says, and he, that's what he follows it up in nine and says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we dealt with the verses that they used to say and to support total depravity. Now let's go to some verses really quick that would seem to contradict that interpretation that total depravity is that you can't do anything good and that whatever you do that's good is 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 not you know it doesn't mean anything to god you know um not even that but not even just that is that you can't even choose god you can't choose to have faith because you're so depraved but Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, 19 real quick. And there's so many verses to, to tell us that God gives us a choice to follow him or not. And I'll be here for hours if I have to, if if I was able to go through all the verses to, to tell us that there's a choice that God offers. He doesn't make us do anything. Now he can. And, you know, he can do whatever he wants, but that's not the way he set it up. That's not how he wants to have a relationship with us. So verse 19, Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, then you shall. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm in Deuteronomy 19 instead of 30, 19. OK, here we go. So it says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Okay. So right there, he's saying, choose life. You have a choice. You have the ability to choose. Let's go to Genesis chapter four. This is Cain and Abel. Verses six, Genesis four, verse six. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why your, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. He's saying, he told Cain, listen, if you, it's up to you you know you shouldn't be upset because you know look if you would have you know done the right thing and, and done the offered the right sacrifice then i would have been pleased with you but you you know you chose not to do that do you understand that if as if god would have if, if we were really totally depraved if we really couldn't choose that this god would be telling him he would actually be telling him a, a lie. Like you, you're making God to be a liar to say that we have no choice. Um, when clearly he's, he's telling us that we, we do have a choice. Let's keep going. I mean, I have a lot more, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to go through all of them, but let's see. Let's get a couple more. Let's go to Joshua 24, 15, 15. 
Let's go to Joshua 24, 15. It says, and if it seems evil to you, serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And that's what God is telling, asking the world right now. He's saying, choose who you will serve. He died on the cross for every single person. He loves everybody. And he wants us to choose him. Okay. But there again, he pointed out, okay, there's a choice involved. You're not so evil that you can't even choose good. You still have the image of God in you that didn't go away because of sin. Right. So, I, you know, I can go on and on, but we got to stop right here and just go into I want to go into unconditional election. And uh, we're almost at 50 minutes already in this uh, probably over 50 minutes already in this uh, teaching. But it's important to go through these, you know, in a comprehensive way as much as we possibly can. I can't give you every single verse on choice because, again, the entire Bible tells us that we have a choice when it comes to our relationship with God. But let's just jump to unconditional election. So we dealt with total depravity. Now we're going to unconditional election. This is the second point in the acronym of TULIP from Calvinism. So unconditional election. So what that means is God has unconditionally chose people from before the foundation of the world. He chose who would be saved. He unconditionally chose them. There was nothing in them uh, that would merit him choosing or electing them. It's unconditional. You know what I mean? And it's, it's totally based on his sovereign will, his sovereign choice. There's nothing in us. There's no conditions. And so they use uh, John 15 or 16. I'm going to go through some of these verses. The first one is John 15, 16. And of course, this is Jesus. He's talking. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. Okay. So, yeah. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is to prove unconditional election. Okay. Now let's, let's look at this. So he chose us. We know we didn't choose him because, you know, we, we, we prove that with our life. We prove that without Christ, we're sinners and we're, we deserve to be condemned. And so he came to us 
he sent his son to come and die on the cross for our sins while we were in a state of rebellion. We just read in Ephesians that, you know, um, while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Now, now we're getting into more detail meeting when Paul says made us alive. This is what happened because he chose us. Okay, now he chose us. Now, does that mean that we don't have the ability to accept or reject his choosing? That's not what this says. It just says that he chose us. We didn't choose him. And that's true. We were dead in our sins. You know, we were we were all headed for hell. And God showed his grace. The goodness of the Lord led us to repentance. So he chose us. He came to us first. Now, we actually still have the choice to accept him, to accept what he did for us. So this just says that he chose us. It doesn't say it was unconditional. You know, it doesn't say that. It just said that he chose us. All right. So let's go to. Uh, Ephesians chapter one. And this is a, one of the main ones that he used to say that it's unconditional. So this is, ver let's just go to verse four. No, we can do three, four, three and four and five. <laughs> so let's go. So Ephesians one verse three to five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, verse four is what they focus on as far as the unconditional election. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holding him without blame. So he chose us. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. It says he chose us before the foundation of the world. Wait, no, let's read it again. It says he chose us in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How can, so the question is, what does that mean? It, so the way that the Calvinists would interpret that is that he chose us before the foundation of the world. But this says he chose us in him. He's saying that those who are in Christ, the only way to be in Christ is number one, obviously through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's, it's through faith. We become united to him. So he chose us not outside of him. We, he chose us in him. 
So those who are connected that are united with Jesus, he chose those people before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him, not outside of him. Okay, so it's important to note that this election is conditional. You have to be in him. You don't just choose anybody. You know, he doesn't just choose whatever arbitrarily, like he just chooses, you know, oh, whoever, I'm just going to choose this, this person and not this person. No, he chooses those who are in him. And how do you become in him? You weren't, you, you didn't exist before the foundation of the world, but you were, you became in him because of your faith. In Jesus your faith in the resurrected Jesus because he died on the cross for your sins so he chose us in him now there's another one you know a famous one it's in Romans 9 and he talks about uh, we're not gonna go there but because that's a whole that you know that could be an episode in and of itself but in short it's mis it's misinterpreted. <laughs> it's misinterpreted again, as far as unconditional election. So this is basically saying that how they take it is that he just created people for wrath and destruction. And if you actually read that and then read actually the Old Testament, which is what Romans nine is referring to, and then you also read Romans eleven that those who were cut off were not cut off beyond beyond recovery that they were cut off so that they can be grafted back in you'll see that it's not it's not even talking about you know all of us it's talking about the Jews that they were cut off but yet he's hoping that you they will be engrafted back in so when you read Romans 9 read the references that's in Romans which is in the Old Testament and then read Romans 11. Keep reading the book of Romans and you'll see what he means. Okay, so that's the short answer rebuttal for Romans 9. And if, you know, in the future, it, it may be possible I can do a, a whole episode on Romans 9. But for now, we'll stop right there for unconditional election. Okay. Now, let's see. Now, again, the, the doctrine is unconditional. He had no, you know, there's no conditions to whether to who he elected. He just chose people at random, pretty much. You know, we don't know who's elect and who's not. He just chose whoever it is. And we had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with that. So let's go to some verses that seem to contradict those points. Let's go to Romans 8, 29. And stay with me. We almost finished here. We almost done. I'm just going to point out these verses and I'm going to wrap this up. And I appreciate you being with being with me this whole time. Those of you who are still listening from the beginning until now. But Romans 8 chapter chapter 8 verse 29. And I'll, I'll go back to verse 28 because it's so so great 
Um, I can't help but to read it. And everybody knows this verse, very popular verse. So verse 28, and then we'll read 29 also. It says, and we, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For him who, for him, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So let's focus on 29. So we know, okay, all things work together for those who love him and according, called according to purpose. For whom he, for whom he foreknew. So what does foreknew mean? They would say somehow that means that he, you know, that the, he, he, for, he foreknew that he already chose these people, <laughs> but that's not what foreknew means it's like he he knew beforehand it's very simple um so he's saying for those whom he foreknew who he knew beforehand would follow him he predestined those people to be conformed to the image of his son he didn't just choose people and did not choose others his choice was based on, we already looked at his choice was those who were in him. And now we see that he predestined those who he foreknew that he knew beforehand would follow him because God knows the future. There's nothing that he does not know. His knowledge is past, present and future. He knows what, what people are going to do. He doesn't know it because he determined for them to do everything. That's another thing that reformed theology teaches is that God determines every single thing that happens in the universe. No, he knew it was going to happen. He didn't make it happen, but he knew it was going to happen. So he knew everyone who would be his followers and he predestined those to become conformed to the image of his son. All right, so now we, we see that predestination has a condition to it. You, you, those who he foreknew is predestined. So let's go to one more verse. Verse, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And we're starting one verse first Peter chapter one, verse one um, to verse two. It says this is New King James, and it says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of, disper of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, Bithynia. Verse two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So now we see this word elect, another word for chosen. Reformed theology says is unconditional election. First Peter says elect according to 
the foreknowledge of God. So he chose us according to his foreknowledge. He already knew who would be saved and he chose those people based on his foreknowledge. He didn't choose them randomly. He doesn't just choose people to go to heaven and choose other people to go to hell. He chose those who would freely put their faith and trust in Jesus. And he knew that. So he chose those who would do that. That's what he's saying. This is extremely clear, extremely clear. You can't really, I don't know how you can kind of get around this. Um, it seems to be very, very clear that he, he elect, they elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So it's not unconditional. So we have to, we have to wrap it up at this point, but as we go through the next couple points, uh, in the next episode, it's important again for us to read our Bible, for us to study the word of God ourselves, ask the Holy spirit to open up your heart, your spirit, and your mind to what he wants to say to you and how you should understand and interpret the word of God. But if you come to the word of God with preconceived ideas and you, and you already have in your mind what scripture is saying in order to, to support your, your own theological uh, doctrines, then you're not going to really see what the Bible says. And, and so again, the goal here was to just try to help you to see that is important to read the word of God in context and understand what it's saying from a basic standpoint. The Bible is not a super, you know, high intellectual book. God is God made it very simple and very plain. And of course there's mysteries. Of course we don't understand everything, but the basic message in the majority of the Bible, a child can understand. It's very simple. And for man to come and, you know, come up with these high theological doctrines and things that, that actually, uh, impugns the character of God that, that comes against the character of God you know, limited atonement. And that was the one of, that was one of the points that I could not even, I could not get with, even when I was a, a, a Calvinist, I would say I was a three point Calvinist. That was one I can't really get. I couldn't get down with that. You know what I mean? To say that God just, he, he, he didn't die for everybody. He did like, that comes against the, the character of God. God says that he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all will come to a repentance. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but it's just a, a proof to show you that God loves all of us. And 
even though we are sinners, yes, we are depraved. We're not totally depraved, but we are depraved. We we are we're born in the sinful in a sinful world. But God loves us and he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And so that's what I want to leave you with. Just be encouraged and Again, I love you. Even if you disagree with me, I still love you. You're still a brother or sister in Christ. I don't think you're not you're not saved because of this or I can't learn from you or you can't learn from me or anything like that. Um, but if you do believe in, in this doctrine, I would pray that you would reconsider it and see if with an open heart and open mind to see if this is actually what the word of God says from front to back, not just certain verses but from front to back the whole bible what does it really say i told you i can go through scripture after scripture after scripture proving that we have a choice that god gives us the choice to choose him or not that is not unconditional you know that faith is not a work um but it's up to you to really receive this to have an open mind and open heart so I hope that you do that. If not, I'm just thankful, thankful for you even listening. <laughs> if you if you have listened, even though you disagree. So pray that this will this blessed you and everyone who, you know, um, even if you're not a Calvinist or reformed, that you are blessed by this and encouraged and understand what it means and not to fall into that type of theology, because I, you know, is not found in the Bible. So read your Bible. So with that, I just want to thank you once again for joining. I look forward to seeing you next time when we continue our study on Reformed Theology. And um, God bless you, and I'll see you next time.